Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Good morning. Good morning to those of you in the pews and to those of you who are joining us virtually When I prayed that prayer early this morning, I thanked the Lord for the beautiful morning. (laughs) Those of you who are not with us in the pews, we're having a storm outside right now. So I thank the Lord for the rain, which we actually actually need. I'm going to confess to you that um, a good portion of this sermon that you're about to hear was actually delivered virtually just months after COVID shut down our worship operations. So my beloved St. Martin's members, I'm about to offer somewhat of a redo, not completely, but somewhat, for two reasons. The first is, many of you probably did not tune in on that particular Sunday as we were just getting our virtual fingers wet, and even if you did, my hunches, you may have forgotten what I offered. But I have a second reason for saying some of the things I've said before, and I, I think it's important, really really important that we dig deeply into a question that I continue to get, not just from non-believers or non-churchgoers, but from people who are believers and who have been in church most, if not all, of their lives. And this is the question. What do we Christians believe about life after death? And since all of you listening today are alive, and all of us at some point are in fact going to die, I think it's crucial that you know and believe and embrace the good news of how our faith answers this question. Let's begin doing that in this way. So this young man comes to his boss and he says, boss, my grandmother has died and her funeral is tomorrow. And may I have the day off, because I so love my grandmother, I want to be there for my family. His boss was a compassionate man who said, absolutely, fully support you being off tomorrow. So the young man's off, comes back the day after that, and he's talking to his boss. His boss wanted to know how the funeral went, and as they were talking, his boss says, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? And the young man said, you know, I really have not thought about it. Interesting, says his boss, because you know, yesterday, when you were out for work, your grandmother came by to visit us here at the office. (laughs) I thought since I was going to talk about death a little bit, I might start that way. So, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? I know that seems a little bit of a silly question, perhaps, asked from this preacher, from this pulpit. But we're still in Easter season and might not be thinking much about heaven as we were just a few weeks ago. And as I said a moment ago, the reality is I continue to get this question from a lot of people who say they were followers of our Lord. Do you believe in life after death? Do you believe in heaven? Now, before I go on, I love the Beatles. I love, love the Beatles. I love their music love their story, incredibly gifted musicians. XM's The Beatles Channel is one of my favorite radio stops. 
So with that caveat, in October of 1971, John Lennon, who had, of course, broken out on his own by then, released his number one selling solo of all time, Imagine. Here's the first stanza. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Now, Lennon's intent was to produce a memorable song that caused people to think on a world without borders, without division. In 1971, our nation was certainly not united and our world was certainly not peaceful, actually a lot like the year 2023. So Lennon was trying to say, imagine if we were just all getting along. And one way to do that is to wipe away all that fairy tale stuff about heaven and hell and life after death. Just live for today. And as you can guess, it was met by his fans with tremendous adulation. On the other hand, some of the people in my business were furious, as if Lennon was attacking core beliefs in virtually every religious group. But then, you know, Lennon was not a preacher. He was a brilliant singer and songwriter. And now, over 50 years later, I find that a lot of people actually do have trouble believing in heaven. Now, you've heard me say from this pulpit before, if not from the pulpit, certainly in one of our teaching uh, settings, Bagby or one of our classrooms, I've, I've said, honestly, I have to chuckle when somebody brings me this very popular book or books like it called Heaven is for Real. And they bring it to me and they kind of poke it in my face as if I had doubted it. And they say, you, my priest, my pastor, you need to read this because heaven is for real. And I think, you know, I've been doing this for over 30 years. I'm in. Uh, I'm I'm not doing this just to wear this white collar around my neck. I really, and you know, there've been a number of books like that on the market over the years. And many of them sell rather well as if this is some new concept. When we who follow Jesus Christ are told right here in today's gospel lesson that Jill just read a moment ago, some very real things about heaven. What are we told? Well, the first that we're told is, is that we should not fear death. When we reach this point in the Gospel of John, the shadow of the cross is only footsteps away, and the angst the apostles are feeling about Jesus' death, and with his, perhaps theirs, is palpable. But Jesus says there's something more real than death. He speaks directly to their fear, and perhaps ours. And this is not to say that death cannot nor should not be scary to us. I'm in no hurry whatsoever. Honestly, though, I've lost count of the number of funerals in which I've participated hundreds over the years, funerals of the elderly, the middle-aged, children, infants. The eldest person I buried was 110. The youngest, a mere few hours old. Death comes to us all. And for my money, it would be far more tragic, more fearful, frankly, more horrible if this is all there was. It's easy, I think, for a a superstar who has all the world can promise, money and wealth and fame, and, and proclaim something like, imagine there's no heaven. But say that to the husband or wife whose loved one is wasting away with dementia. Sing that to the mother who has just buried her child. Poetically offer those words to most of the people of our world today who suffer from poverty, 
or hunger or war or terrorism? Is their only hope living for today? Tell those of us here one week from Mother's Day or a month or so from Father's Day who long to be reunited with loved ones that we lost through death, tell those of us that all of this is make-believe. Jesus answers the angst we have about the death of our loved ones and about our own deaths. Do not worry, he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. There are many places to live in heaven. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when your time comes, I will greet you and take you unto myself and to your new everlasting home. We can prolong the inevitability of our deaths, but we can't put them off forever. But what we believe is that through the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we can lay claim to our own resurrection. Death is not the final chapter. It really is merely a prologue. We proclaim in Christ, life is not ended. It's it's changed, it's transformed, and it becomes everlasting. Several years ago, I was talking with a friend of mine who's a priest who's since gone to be with our Lord, and, and he helped me understand it by putting it this way. And let me do the same for you. Imagine, imagine uh, that when you were in your mother's womb, uh, in the comfort of your mother's womb, that place that is, is kind of a luxury hotel with 24-hour room service. You don't have to ask for anything. It's all there for you. Imagine someone came to you and said, well, you're gonna, I'm going to give you an opportunity to jump from this bed and, you know, this luxury hotel into kind of a bed and breakfast. And it's, uh, it's, it, might, it might hurt a little bit to get there. There's going to be some some squeezing and some tugging and some pulling. And, uh, and when you get out there, the light is going to be so bright. At first, it's going to hurt your eyes. And, and the way you're going to begin all this is the doctor is actually going to slap you on the bum, although I don't think they do that anymore. But it's going it's to hurt. Some of it's going to hurt, and there's going to be some light. You, you probably would say, I, you know, I think I'll pass. Think if you could cognitively, cognitively consider uh, that you would be leaving this kind of life and entering a different kind of life altogether, a life with a limited menu. Remember, you got 24-hour room service through the umbilical cord. A life that included eating and breathing and communicating in a way that at that point you, you could not even begin to understand as if someone gave you that option as you were snuggled away in a realm you only know as pregnancy. My sense is, my senses that you would confidently reject that offer with something like, thanks, but no thanks. I'm just fine where I am. But you know, now that, for instance, now that I'm here, that I've experienced this life for almost 62 years now, I cannot fathom ever wanting to go back to the womb. Death for Jesus' followers is likely much the same. There may be some pain involved in our transition from this life to the next. My guess is that we will not breathe or eat or even communicate in the same way that we do here. There's probably more light there than there is here, then there's certainly, most assuredly, more life there than there is here. But my hunch is, once I'm there, once you're there, you nor I whatever choose to come back here. No, we cannot escape death, but you also cannot extricate the doctrine of the resurrection of life beyond the door of death from the Judeo-Christian story, for it is written here through and through from beginning to end. 
But there's a second thing this lesson says, and my guess is that it also makes some of us uncomfortable. When Jesus says he's headed off to the cross, but that there will be a way that life reveals itself through the cross, perhaps the most honest apostle in the crowd, Thomas, pipes up and says, what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says back to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is a verse that's been used by a lot of people over the history of Christianity to say a lot more about who is out than who is in. Its apparent exclusivity has been enough to turn a number of people away from our faith. The bold claim is what brought a number of people to my office over the years with questions like this. They say, what about the child who never knows Jesus? What about the mentally challenged who cannot have a concept of what it means to enter a relationship with Jesus? For a number of years, I heard this. What about the people in the darkest, deepest places of Africa, though I think that no longer holds water? For instance, in Nigeria today, sidebar, for instance, there will be more Anglicans worshiping in Nigeria than in the United States, Canada, England, Scotland, Israel, Australia, and New Zealand combined. And that's just Anglicans. And the same is happening in Rwanda and Uganda. Maybe the question would, should be, what about all those Americans that don't go to church? What about Muslims? What about Jews? What does this passage say to the world? Well, it says... Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And those who come to the Father come through him. Now, I think if you've been here for over a year or two, you know I have good friends who are Muslim. I have friends who are atheists, or at least they think they are. I have family members who are Jews. And I don't believe Jesus' proclamation that he is the way is exclusive. I think it's actually quite inclusive what he's saying here is, if you want to be with God and all the saints and light forever, come through me, who I am, what I am. But who was he? But divine love. Now, I know I've been quoting C.S. Lewis a lot in my sermons in the last few months because I'm kind of rereading some of his things. And he includes in the prologue of his book on our faith, Mere Christianity, he includes these words. I've been asked to tell you what Christians believe, and I'm going to begin by telling you one thing that Christians do not need to believe. If you're a Christian, you do not have to believe that all the other religions are simply wrong all through. Now, if you're an atheist, he writes, you do have to believe that the main point in all the religions of the world is simply one huge mistake. But if you're a Christian, you're actually free to think that all of these religions, even the queerest ones, contain at least some hint of the truth. Now, he does add this. He says, but of course, being a Christian does mean that where Christianity differs from other religions, Christianity is right and the others are wrong. Like in arithmetic, there's only one right answer to a sum, and all the other answers are wrong, but some of the wrong answers are much nearer being right than others. If you've been here for some years or a little bit of time, you know I'm also, I'm also not a universalist because I'm a Christian. And the Christian faith does not proclaim that it does not matter how we live or who we follow. Everybody, at least according to Scripture, does not necessarily get to heaven. 
The things that we do and the way we live and what we believe, they matter. And all roads do not lead to God. If you believe that, the next time you're out at Hobby Airport trying to catch a flight to Denver, just get on any old plane and just see where you end up. If you want to get to Denver, you got to get on the plane that's going to Denver. What Jesus tells us here is if you want to follow him in a life, then follow him. But Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace?, retells the story again of C.S. Lewis, of walking into a conference on comparative religion, and the people there were discussing whether any single belief was totally unique to Christianity, and the debate was getting rather heated when Lewis stumbled in and said, what's all the rumpus about? And they told him they were discussing what unique contribution Christianity offered in the face of the other religions of the world, and Lewis said, oh, that's easy, it's grace. Indeed, the concept that God's love comes to us free of charge, with no strains attached, opposes every bit of human logic. The Buddhists have an eightfold path to enlightenment. The Hindus have the concept of sacrifice to achieve karma. The Jews seek to adhere to the Torah and Muslims to the code of law from the Quran. Each of these has its own way for people to earn divine approval. Only Christianity dares to declare that God's love is unconditional. And for me, my friends, that is the way. Not a God whom we have to appease or please by what we do, but a God who finds pleasure in loving his children. I love my Muslim friends, my Jewish friends, my agnostic friends. And from what I know about God, he loves them far more than I do. And if I begin to worry about how they get there or how they encounter the way we know is Jesus, I have foolishly put myself on the throne of heaven and that simply is above my pay grade. If you would be merciful, is God's mercy not greater than yours? This doesn't free us from following Jesus nor allow us to opt out of telling others about Jesus, but it does free us from playing God. So leave that decision up to him. So the first thing this passage tells us is that death comes to us all, but do not be afraid. The second thing it tells us is that Jesus is the way through the gate of death. But there's a third thing, and perhaps the most important thing, and this is it. Heaven is for real. Jesus, on that last night, was not just trying to calm his followers down. He was not trying to make his last stand. He was saying his cross would bring an end to death eternal. His cross was the ultimate horrific display of the consequences of human sin and at the same time, the most extraordinary display of God's love. And if we give ourselves to that love and walk in that love, we will move from death to life. In John's first epistle, he wrote, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And then he writes, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. The cross was the end of death. Jesus's resurrection sealed that in, giving us the power to live and believe even at the end of mortal life. 
And that power comes through loving God and loving one another, plain and simple. The body of Winston Churchill is buried in the Blandon churchyard of St. Martin's Church in Blandon, England. I went there some years ago to pay homage to this great man. And as you pass on your way into the church, there's actually a churchyard there. And at the churchyard, like many of the village churchyards there in England, there is something called a lick gate at the entrance. It's a kind of shelter where pallbearers could wait with a casket until the minister came out to escort them into the churchyard for burial. If the weather was bad, they had some shelter beneath the roof of the lit gate. And over the gate at Blandon are these words, and I made sure because I took a picture of them. These words, I know that my Redeemer liveth. However, it's not inscribed on the, outskir- uh, on the outside of the gate for passers-by to see, but on the inside of the gate. You see them not as you enter the graveyard, but as you leave the graveyard. How comforting to a family who's just left the body of a loved one in that churchyard. How comforting it is to us on this fifth Sunday of Easter to remember we have a deathless Redeemer who calls us to the same. There's a wonderful epitaph on the grave of Patience Holmes, a young girl whose remains were laid to rest on Burial Hill in Plymouth, Massachusetts in 1845. She was only 24 years old. And it's actually become so popular, it's now used on many gravestones throughout New England. And it reads simply her name, Patience Holmes. And then beneath these words, shed not for her the bitter tear, nor give the heart to vain regret. Tis but the casket that lies here. The gem that filled it sparkles yet. My friends, heaven is for real. Don't imagine there's no heaven. And with all due respect and apologies to the late Mr. Lennon, it's not easy if you try. For me, at least, it's much easier for me to believe in heaven. Because the longer I live, the more glimpses of the Father's love I see in the world around me. It's much easier for me to believe in heaven because I have lived long enough to know my sins far outweigh my capacity to save myself. And so the more I absolutely depend on the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. And as I do, I find that grace and mercy to be such a healing balm to my open spiritual wounds. And it's much easier for me to believe in heaven because, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe what he promised. And I believe his word is secure. I believe we do not have to worry. I believe he is the way. And I believe in heaven. And I invite you to do the same. So you don't have to imagine there's a heaven There is one. Want to experience that here and forevermore in the life to come? Give yourself to him. He loves you. It is his desire and will that all will be saved and that all will live forever with him and all the saints in light. Imagine there is no heaven. Not a chance. Imagine there is. Believe there is.
give yourself to that hope. Give yourself to him. It's easy if you try. Amen. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.